Thanks to our military and our allies and the brave fighters of Afghanistan, the Taliban regime is coming to an end. Woohoo! That was awesome. USA. Was that just USA? Was that just today? I don't keep up with US presidents. Was that was that the, the US president today? I'm pretty sure, yeah. That's um, the, it's coming to an end? Yeah. It's it, done. It's over. Right. But he look the video that video looked kinda of grainy though. Are you sure it's today? Ah, close enough. I don't think that's the US president. That's not the US president. He, he looks he's, he's very young for Joe Biden. Like I know his name is Joe Biden, but he looks very young for Joe Biden. That I know, Sleepy Joe, old fella. That's not him. Oh yeah, yeah. That's he's from years ago. I get my dates mixed up. I know, whatever. But he said the Taliban regime's coming to an end, and everyone's talking about the Taliban. So right. I figured that that would be news, you know, relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To today's news. Oh well, yeah. So the backstory there is that that is actually what twenty years ago. Yeah. And late. Two, late. Late. Two thousand one. Twenty years ago, and the Taliban regime was coming to an end. And what's happening today? Um. Extraordinary news. Um, the Taliban's actually the not Taliban has in? actually taken power in Kabul. Wow. Afghanistan. <laughs> and it only took them 20 years? I, in a sense, it only took them five days. Right. There's some weird stuff. Afoot. What was happening in between? <laughs> That's the question. Was America squatting in Afghanistan like they do in a lot of countries? Like just squatting there and not moving? And, like, and the Taliban were hiding in caves. Right. And then the Americans started leaving, and now the Taliban are back in power. Right. It may as well it be 2001. That he may as well be the president of the United States. Yeah. Because um, nothing's changed, really. Well, a lot ex- Except you have to reverse what he just stated. Right. He, George Bush is just guilty of misinformation. Right. Technically, that should be banned. Or at least fact-checked, his statement. Yeah. Right? Because... Because the complete reverse is right. the well, truth. I suppose, yeah, it's different now. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's completely untrue. The Taliban are actually taking power. Or what's, what's the latest that they... Well, let's, let's pull it up from AP. I couldn't believe when I saw this like just an hour ago. It reported in Indian media first um, that they were hearing that uh, the Taliban were in talks in Kabul with the current government to oversee a peaceful <clears throat> transfer of power. And lo and behold... Associated Press has confirmed that the Taliban are in Kabul awaiting, quote, peaceful transfer of power. That is a photo of a U.S. Chinook above the U.S. Embassy in Kabul airlifting U.S. diplomatic staff. If you're, you, the older viewers here, if you're wondering if this is Vietnam and Saigon all over, it kind of is, uh, down to the optics. Do we have? The other one from Saigon. We've got video of... Uh, we don't have a cross-comparable. We don't have something to compare it with, no. But, uh, but there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an image from 1975 from Saigon on a Chinook. I don't have that. I've got video footage of the, of the Chinook leaving, but um, let me see if I can, I can get it here. Because I, I saw um, yeah, uh, a comparison, side-by-side comparison of that, which is... Kabul, um, a Chinook evacuating U.S. Embassy personnel from, I suppose, from Bagram Air Base or from the U.S. Embassy or whatever. And then there's a, a, a an image of another Chinook, what would that be, 25, 45 years ago, 
evacuating U.S. Embassy personnel. 1975. And the yeah. truck hasn't changed, I mean, maybe the in, no. in, in, insides is probably a bit different, but the outside looked exactly the same, basically. Uh, 45 years ago, evacuating people from Saigon after the U.S.'s other, one of their other major failed occupations and wars, uh, which was Vietnam. Um, and that all came crashing down as well. And they just decided this. You know what? We'll just leave this country to its inhabitants because we tried to give them the freedom and democracy and they didn't want it. And we tried for 20 years every single day and it just didn't work because it was all about the freedom and <coughs> democracy, as everybody knows. It's, it's just a farce, isn't it? And it's the bizarrely perfect ending to the farce. Let's scroll down a little here see what AP has to say about it. Taliban fighters enter Kabul Sunday and saw the unconditional surrender of the central government. As Afghans and foreigners alike race for the exit, signaling the end of a 20-year Western experiment at remaking Afghanistan. It failed. You failed. Was What's it, remarkable is that, that how fast this is happening because... Was it... Yeah. Just yesterday, I mean, it was... Well, you know, maybe in a few days, uh, things things might shift, but it's a matter of hours. Like, well, of course, this was this was a decision that was well. First of all, was it really <clears throat> a twenty-year Western experiment to remake Afghanistan? I don't get the impression that that's what it was all about. Really. <sighs> Competing narratives depends what you want to believe, and you've an array of choice provided by. Western leadership over the last 20 years as to what to go from. But realistically, whenever whenever the Taliban were, you know, George Bush, as we, we saw there, said, we're going in to get rid of the Taliban. Their days are numbered. They're over. Then 20 years later, not to the day, but to the year. Um, not far to the day, actually. Next month, right? He well, said, that's, where, that's part, that October, that's part so of what really, we need to discuss here. It's There's almost, some theater of foot here. It's almost 20 years to the day, to, to the to the to the not to the day, but to the month. It was probably October when he said that. Yeah. Because uh, they were launched. They went they in launched. October 7th. Right. So it's basically Octo October 7th or early October this year, i.e. in less than two months. It's 20 years since he said that. Um, but does it really take 20 years to figure out that you're not able to spread freedom and democracy in a country? I mean, do you sit in a country and try 20 years over and over and over again? Uh, or does that suggest that it... Is it reasonable to suggest that it was about something else? It's reasonable to suggest. Because you said competing narratives and what you want to believe, sure. But is there, can we get a bit closer to the truth rather than competing narratives? I mean, just based on pure reason, if you know what I mean? Well, track it over time. In the beginning, the Taliban are harboring Al-Qaeda and bin Laden. We're going in to get Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. Okay. Don't know where he is. We bombed Tora Bora, the cave complex can't find him, probably dead, whatever. Now we're getting the Taliban. Right. Punishment for harboring, blah, blah, blah. Right. Taliban f formally folds. There is no, I mean, um, you've got to remember, the United States is, certainly in 2001, the foremost military power on the earth. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like Death Star versus not even the rebels in Star Wars. The comparison is... The Death Star talking, versus the Ewoks. Versus the Ewoks alone. Yeah. Exactly. We're talking about one of the then one of the poorest countries on earth. In fact, still is basically wasted after. Well, it was partially being rebuilt by the Taliban once they consolidated power in Afghanistan in the late nineties. But it was ravaged by a civil war in the nineties, and prior to that, of course, by the previous version iteration of this farce involving the Soviets, 
Stingo Ray missiles and so on, the 80s. So and the Mujahideen that give rise to Al-Qaeda. That give rise to Al-Qaeda that, oops, they Did turned bad by attacking us on 9-11, so we're going in to get them out. That's right. the narrative. But it had to, it changed, of course, mm. because then you're, well, what are you still doing here with, at one point, a peak, they said formerly 100,000 US soldiers mm-hmm. in the country if it's done. Yeah. George Bush can declare mission accomplished. There is no real... What do you stand for? Well, to secure the transition or to secure the transition to, to freedom and democracy, right? Right. That's and when that it shifts into but it more never abstract. Really, it never really took, right? And like, that's my question. Does it take that long, you know? To figure uh, it out. You know, decades, literally, to, to figure that out. Um, I don't think... I mean, obviously... So before we get into why America was there, which doesn't take a lot of explaining, obviously, and people can probably figure it out pretty easily themselves, but what, before we get into why America was there... Uh, I get the impression, um, not just the impression, I'm, I know for a fact that, that, well, I'm pretty sure, let's say, that the vast majority of people out there who are watching the news over the past day or two um, are saying, oh, look, the Taliban are coming back and they got some impression that, yeah, America left and now the Taliban are back. And this just happened over the last week, let's say. Let's push it back to a week. So America, week. last today's Sunday. Last Sunday, the Americans, the American military uh, chiefs and the State Department, the government all sat, that, sat down and said, "You know what? Let's leave. Let's leave Afghanistan." And then, within a week, they went right up, out we go, and it's done. And then, mm-hmm. within a few days, Taliban take over. Is that how it happened? No. Why? That's what it's turned like. If I you know. Read the media. That's what. That's what. I know. People get the impression. So, it, are we getting the, ha- the wrong impression from the media? The hand. Yeah, the wrong impression from the media, and then the hand wringing from, say, the American patriot patriots of all stripes, right? Yeah. Who were like, "What? The, what the hell just happened?" Yeah. What, you mean, what do you mean we just lost the country? We were there 20 years. We had total control yeah. or proxy. Well, our government in their control, what, they just gave up within a week and they fled. Yeah. But no, th- there's a recent history that has been happening quietly, relatively quietly. And it begins, let's pull up the article. The New York Times announces this. It begins in 2020, the recent history anyway. Um, on February 29th, 2020, the U.S. Well, this is under uh, Trump's administration. The U.S. government struck a deal with the Taliban in Qatar to withdraw troops from Afghanistan by the 31st of May 2021. So it's overdue. What you're seeing now is actually overdue based on the original agreement. Right. It was meant to be ha- have happened by July. Yes, by now. By and in fact, the Taliban, no one hears from them. But they've been patiently putting out whatever kind of information they can, saying, hello, it's behind schedule. Right, this is the article, February 29th, 2020. That's an interesting date. What what happened a couple of weeks after that? February 20, let me go back, February 29, two weeks from February 29 is March 16, 15. 14, 15th, uh-huh. 2020. I can't. Something happened, something dramatic happened around then. Yeah, it escapes anyway, me as well. Go back to the article. Let me see the article. I can't. We'll, 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 we'll try and remember what that was mid-March last year. Uh, what's the title again? U.S. strikes deal with Taliban to withdraw troops from Afghanistan. Oh, right. So this is... After a, more than a year of talks. So, so we go so back, we go back to 2019. So early January 20... Or February 2019, which is one, two, three... Like two and... Two and more than two and a half years ago. They struck a deal to leave, and since then, we can presume they were in the process of leaving Afghanistan. Yes. 
Because, yeah, after 20 years of occupation with at, at a certain point up to 100,000 troops plus maybe an equivalent number of, of, of contractors, of contractors, so maybe 200,000 U.S. military personnel plus all the civilian personnel, all the infrastructure, <coughs> Bagram Air, Air the Base, NGOs. Kabul, uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that would take a long time to kind of divest from and to, to withdraw and to clean up and to make sure you're taking all your sensitive papers and your, you know, uh, your... Well, they left a few homebreeds, apparently, but uh, all your important stuff. So, yeah, two and a half years. Yeah, I can imagine it would take two and a half years. So why are we only hearing about it now? Why do people think that they just left, like, last week when they've been leaving for two and a half years? Don't know. Because there was a narrative, part of carefully managing this for the domestic U.S. audience right. was that the Trump and then Biden administrations this year wanted to make sure that people understood that because they were militarily leaving, that did not mean the Taliban would be taking over. Okay. But the Afghan national government and the Afghan national army that they've built up over okay. the last two decades would be in power. In fact, let's listen to Biden a month ago reassuring reporters that what has just happened would never happen. I always like listening to Biden. Is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. No way. Sleepy Joe because says so. Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 mm. well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world, and an Air Force. Against Air something Force. like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. It's not just not... Your own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. No way. Can you please clarify what it's they have told you about whether that will happen or not? That is not true. They, so did, not, they didn't, did not reach that conclusion. So you're, what you're is full of it. the level of confidence that they have that it will not collapse? The Afghan government and leadership has to come together. They clearly have the capacity. To sustain the government. Clearly. Super clear, yeah. And do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling... None whatsoever. None. Zero. Zero. What you had is you had entire brigades <laughs> breaking through the gates of our embassy. Uh -huh. Six, if I'm not mistaken. The Taliban is not the, South, the North Vietnamese um, Army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. <laughs> There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof. Of <laughs> <laughs> this is happening right now. <laughs> Afghanistan. It is not at all comfortable. Come, oh Mr. God. Taliban. Where do they go from here? That and jury is still out. Down the road in one of your Humvees. <laughs> and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. And um, today, they own, one week later, they, well, a month later, yeah. they own the whole country. It's totally not true. It comes, it comes with Sleepy Joe's seal of approval that it's not going to happen. So everything he just said was absolutely false. He said that a month ago, yeah? Uh, so, yeah, where do you go from here? Yeah, like I said. Uh, do we have the CNN article where the latest from the State Department is um, a missive to all employees? There it is. Tell staff to destroy sensitive materials. No, I can't sensitive materials. <clears throat> Scroll down. Let's read a bit of this. It's hilarious. The U.S. Embassy in Kabul is instructing personnel to destroy sensitive materials. <clears throat> um, yeah. 
A diplomatic source told CNN that one intelligence assessment, this is published today, it's already old news, indicated that Kabul could be isolated by the Taliban within the week, possibly within the next 72 hours. I think it was within hours of CNN publishing this. Hmm. But stress, that doesn't mean the militant group would enter the capital, except they have. They're in. Um, there's a great bit down here where they explain that this is this is standard operating procedure. <laughs> yeah. We've uh, done this before, people, in, uh, in, in Vietnam. 45 yeah, years ago. The State Department said that this was part of the standard procedure applied when... Minimizing the US footprint. <laughs> yeah. We've got this standard procedure for minimizing our footprint around the world. We're just... Yeah. Drawdowns at our diplomatic posts around the world follow a standard procedure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What a farce. Um, so, okay, so backtrack. That's 2020. They put That was a remarkable development. I mean, it obviously it was overshadowed, never mind by the lockdowns that were introduced mm. week, two weeks later, mm -hmm. but by the sheer hysteria. Mm -hmm. Everything was COVID, 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 yeah, COVID yeah. at the time. So, by then, Taliban, Afghanistan, after two decades, you can uh, people are like, whatever. But actually, it was significant because the U.S. was voluntarily, remember, it's, it's the mightiest power, at least it was, on the earth. And the Taliban is like, even today, it's like, it does not have an air force. No. It might have one now because wow. it's about to take over. Uh, few, few it, in fact, breaking news, it is taking over airports. It's taken over Bagram Air Base yeah. in the last hour um, and probably other key airports. So they will soon have an air force, but the fact that they didn't have one when the Americans left yeah. means that this is the Americans obviously have something else in mind in leaving. Uh, is, are, heli are helicopters male or female? Uh, why on earth are you asking? No, I'm just thinking it'd be hard to fly one with a burke on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the rotors would wouldn't work properly. You'd need to strap it down, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a hazmat suit. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm just joking, obviously. Uh, I'm sure, I don't know. Yeah, it's, no, I just find it really interesting. The 29th, two weeks before lockdown for COVID, you know, lockdowns. Well, it, COVID was, there were a lot of murmurings. February 29th, a lot of murmurings about, uh, about possible deadly pandemic coming, blah, blah, blah. And then within a couple of weeks, they had started lockdowns across the, across the world. Um, does that suggest that there was some maybe... Greater agenda at work. Premeditation in a certain time, or not premeditation, but awareness that that, I mean, we said it was two and a half years ago that they started this plan, obviously, really, to, to, to divest from, uh, to get out of Afghanistan. But that, that article on February 29th was <clears throat> when they signed an official agreement, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting timing, for yeah. sure. It's, it's a remarkable agreement in so many ways. It was written... It was signed between the Taliban only right. no mention and the U.S. only. Yeah. No mention of NATO, of an international coalition right. of the willing. Remember that yeah. crap from 20 years ago? Um, no, no, no. They always came down to the hard-nosed business. They really, it's not a wishy-washy thing. And mm. we're seeing now the fruits of it. It mm. was the Americans actually meant what they put on paper with the Taliban. We're out of here. Uh, we're out of here. U.S. State Department, Taliban only. The Afghan government was not involved in that. Mm-hmm. Because they've been a joke. The they've always been years. a joke, and the Americans were admitting to the international community when they did that that they're not the real power here. So, surely, if oh. the people in Afghanistan actually supported the Afghan government, they would have rallied around the Afghan government. And over twenty years, you would have had 
the Afghan government been able to, the US imposed, backed, whatever, Afghan government would have been able to consolidate control and, and, and influence and power and got the, the, the support of a majority of the people, let's say, over 20 years, surely. But that, if, the fact they didn't suggest that... The farce reveals that, that, the lie. That the vast majority of Afghanis don't, mm -hmm. in a way, don't have a problem with the Taliban or don't want any kind of government, in a sense, don't want any, don't want any kind of centralised government. Or certainly they don't want one that's imposed by the, or it's just a puppet government essentially controlled by the US, right? So that's like no choice for, for any indigenous people who have a bit of self-respect and a sense of nationality are not going to support a government they know has been installed by a foreign power and would, if they supported it, simply be uh, a tool of that foreign power. So maybe that's part of the reason. It's not necessarily that a lot of Afghani people or the majority didn't want some kind of a more somewhat more democratic country and some kind of a centralized government. They just didn't want one that was totally beholden to the Americans. When you've been occupied, exactly, when you've been occupied for two decades, you end up with one singular focus. It doesn't matter if Martians come down and help you to do it. In fact, they become the means through which you achieve that focus. The one singular focus after decades of occupation is to get the foreigner out. It doesn't matter who's doing it. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the one who looks most capable <clears throat> will go with. Right. Libyans rallied behind a guy, I forget his name now, yeah. who was actually a CIA co-opted traitor mm -hmm. who, who helped wreck Libya. Originally. Uh, again, he was Gaddafi's chief opponent over at Langley in the 80s and 90s. They then united around him because he was Haftar. most likely to unite the country and get rid of foreign troops. Haftar? Haftar, that guy. It doesn't matter who it is. It can be the worst traitor. If he's getting rid of the foreigner, yeah. we'll go with him. Same thing here. Uh, the Taliban have taken over hundreds of districts in, the, in recent months. The reason it hit the headlines recently is because they were already poised to take the actual capital buildings and districts. And that's why they went in swoop, swoop, swoop. In the last five days, 15 key cities, including the biggest, and now today Kabul, What's more, they did it with hardly firing a shot. Yeah. No That's one factor. Yeah. The other factor is the 300,000 Afghan strong Afghan National Army that Biden boasts about is defecting in droves. They're just going, well, a thousand of them fled into Tajikistan for starters. That was several months ago. And the rest are just going, fair cop, they're either, they're not only that defecting to the Taliban, they're obviously surrendering all the military equipment that yeah. Biden boasted. How many hundreds of billions of US dollars were spent on that, equipping that army yeah. is now in the hands of the Taliban. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. And that's the only, uh, fun, uh, fundamentally underlying all of that, the only way that could happen is with mass popular support. Mm -hmm. well, maybe that's what they should, I mean, the Americans just took 20 years to do what they should have done 20 years ago, which is uh, just give the Taliban a bunch of military equipment and, you know, weapons and uh, all sorts of stuff and, and allow them to take power. Can you imagine what would have happened if 20 years ago America hadn't gone in there and squatted in the country and just taken a big dump on it and, and, and for, you know, for their own geopolitical reasons, essentially to, to kind of control that area, which is historically a kind of like a, a pivot point or a, a, core, a, cent, a, a very important area in terms of broad, you know, Russia, China, the U.S., Iran, India, all that kind of stuff. It goes back a couple hundred years. Look up the Great War on Wikipedia if you want. Or sorry, the, the Great, great Game. game. <clears throat> the Great Game on Wikipedia. You see that that was just a continuation of that. 
where they America just decided it wanted to control that part of the, the world because of the strategic influence it, it provided. But uh, if you, can you imagine if 20 years ago they had just not invaded Afghanistan and left it alone and the stuff that's happened in terms of the rise of Russia and China and, and Iran, let's say, over the, over the, the past 20 years, the influence they would have had. They have been having influence in Afghanistan, but if they, if they had the freedom to have the influence they want to have on Afghanistan as a key kind of transit point for China, for example, for its One Belt, One Road uh, project, you know, from China to, through Iran, over even into Western Europe, if they had the freedom to do that, I mean, eventually you would imagine that the Taliban would have formed some kind of a government that would have, you know, over those 20 years would have become, would have democratized to some extent, you know, within the mm-hmm. within the constraints that the people were willing to, you know, given that they're Muslim and, you know, a lot of them are, what, to one extent or another, or to one level of strict Muslim adherence or not, mm-hmm. or, or another, they, um, <clears throat> they would have formed a, a relatively normal... Absolutely. Peaceable, it's almost a... Peaceable, it's almost a rule of, of historical development. Yeah. Whenever there's a violent civil war slash revolution, whatever exactly it is, there's a period of chaos and then there's victory and then there's consolidation. Now, that consolidation phase can remain extreme mm. for some time thereafter, but it always normalizes. Of course it will. It will go, okay, everything's secure now. Let's relax open up. So America's intervention in 2001 interrupted the development that would have taken place right. otherwise. But, and they, and they, they intervened on the basis that they were going to promote development. But they, were yes. doing, but they actually did exactly the opposite. Exactly. They retarded things. Hmm. It's interesting. They took them back, <clears throat> they effectively <throat> took them back to 1992 when mm-hmm. the Civil War was kicking off in terms of development in terms of everything you know women's rights which they go on right. about i mean it, it would taliban of some form of let's stop calling the taliban briefly their formal regime that they had in afghanistan from 96 to 2001 <clears throat> which they intend i presume to re-announce now mm-hmm. is the islamic emirate of afghanistan right. the taliban is a kind of a, a name like a term like mujahideen mm. for the the holy fighters drawing on Islamist theology, but then as now, overwhelmingly, it's a nationalist movement. They're Afghani's. Now it has also changed. There's Taliban and there's Taliban. It's been a murky ass twenty-two decades. You know, mm-hmm. there were a lot of things that were done in their name, atrocities, which of course uh, was catapulted back home mm-hmm. as these. And, and people today, they wring their hands and go, oh, my As God, justification for why America should stay there. Exactly. Um, a lot of things were done in their name. We have some evidence. I'm going to bring it up shortly that um, at least several occasions, um, somebody in Western military structures was airlifting, quote, unquote, Taliban around the country. Show me now. Show me. You want to see it now? Okay. Um did I send this to you, Scotty? I'm not sure if I did, actually. We've got three articles. I can't find them on the interwebs anymore, but that's why we have Sat.net, because we archived this stuff at the time. Um, yeah, no choppers. I'm going to have to just send I'm gonna have to open them up and send them. Scotty won't even be able to search for them in time. It took me ages to find these in our own archives, because 
these are articles from 2009, 10, 11. Um, in the meantime, I want to point out something, a small detail, but I think it's instructive as to how much of, how, this is one aspect of how things have come full circle. The guy who, one of the co-founders of the Taliban, uh, apparently a deputy of Mullah Omar mm -hmm. um, was, is the guy who is now entering negotiations mm -hmm. with the Afghan government mm -hmm. in, in Kabul. His name is Abdul Ghani Baradar. That's not to be confused with the current guy is also called Ghani. But anyway, his surname is Baradar. Mm -hmm. he, he popped up in the news last month because he was the guy who went to China to meet Chinese foreign minister. Um, they made a deal. It's not even just it was just two weeks ago. The deal between the Taliban and China was for the Taliban to drop its historical support of the East Turkestan Islamic movement, right. aka the Uyghur mm -hmm. movement in Western China, in exchange for Chinese recognition of the Taliban as mm -hmm. the legitimate authority. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not the only place. They've also been flying all. They've been they've been in and out of Moscow, Doha, of course. Um, and Beijing over the last two years. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's quietly happening because, well, this isn't happening in the West, so why would the media be talking about it much, you know? Mm -hmm. So the, there's, there's a long, recent backstory to why all this stuff happened. Um, let's see. Yeah. Um, okay, I found the articles. Let me, give me a minute to send them to Scotty. Okay. Let's have a look at that. It's not just the U.S. embassy, by the way, that's uh, got people fleeing. Germany just today <laughs> does the same thing to its mm -hmm. staff in Kabul. Get out, everybody. Okay. The original articles no longer exist, but thankfully we have copies. So... 2009, this is an Afghani guy who was working as an interpreter for the New York Times. He said he was kidnapped along with a New York Times reporter named Stephen Farrell. Oh, okay, he was killed by a British sniper as commanded, okay. Right. He died in a rescue operation to save this uh, New York Times reporter, Farrell. The claim by anonymous diplomats, but okay, the claim here is that this Afghani interpreter for the New York Times was targeted deliberately. He wasn't just killed in the raid by a stray bullet. He was deliberately killed for possessing documents and pictures pointing at the British military's involvement in the transfer operation of, quote, Taliban insurgents from southern Afghanistan into the north. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's like... 
This, this, that's part of the... Uh, uh, one uh, just ahead. on China. The Afghan journalist also had evidence of the involvement of the foreign forces, namely NATO, US forces, and British forces in Afghanistan, in the tensions that rocked China's Xinjiang Autonomous Region in mm -hmm. July. July 2009 was when there was a quote-unquote massacre of Uyghurs because of serious uh, acts of terrorism that sparked popular rioting of... Uh, Han Chinese against Uyghurs mm -hmm. in Xinjiang. But that was the, the part that they leave out in the telling of that atrocity, which indeed was a, a kind of a spontaneous outrage committed by the majority Han against Uyghurs, mm -hmm. was because there were a string of terrorist attacks yeah, yeah. and they were facilitated via Afghanistan. Right. So it's used as staging ground to seed terrorist or carry out terrorist attacks in China. Yeah. On behalf, you know, in the interests of the Americans, which and elsewhere, of course, right. Pakistan, and so on. Okay, so that's two thousand nine. Let's go to the next one, twenty ten. What's the claim here? Um, okay, so this is a Pakistani report. U.S. counterinsurgency. Blackwater. Here's British, uh, not British American. Blackwater helicopters airlifting quote Taliban terrorists around Afghanistan and Pakistan. Um, whatever about moving them within. Afghani borders, this would have become a much more important um, factor later on. How to get terrorists from outside into the quote-unquote war theater. Well, we know this. Back then, I remember, like, how on earth are we going to, like, convince anyone of this? Because the reports were sparse. There was no kind of conceptual framework for it. You'd be labeled not just conspiracy theory, but that's idiotic, you mm. know. It doesn't make any sense. Well, we now have a context for it. We know that this kind of thing is being, but certainly, but what it is, but was done for the last ten years in Syria, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it got to the point where Washington was accusing Turkey of doing it. Turkey was accusing Qatar of doing it, mm -hmm. and they were all like having a public fight about you were sending your jihadis right. into Syria, and they were screwing over our jihadis. Yeah. So shipping people in for a contrived war, uh -huh. quote-unquote civil war. Uh -huh. Everyone knows that now. Well, Afghanistan had the same thing. At the, yeah. That's well, what kept yeah. it going yeah. these well, last few decades. Well, they have to have, I mean, America has to have, I mean, it's obviously got geopolitical reasons why it would, uh, you know, you know, use Afghan, Afghanistan as a staging ground for shipping jihadis into uh, Western China and creating a kind of the Uyghur persecution situation, you know, which, as you just mentioned, people seem to forget in all the reporting on the Uyghurs is that you go back to 10, kind of 2012, 13, 14, 15, there's a string of attacks, like really brutal attacks by Uyghur separatists against ordinary people in the street, you know, blowing blowing up kind of... Train stations, train stations restaurants, sta similar... Stabbings and, mass and shopping malls and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> obviously that is part of an attempt essentially to destabilize... Uh, China, but most particularly not the entire country, but that part of China, yeah. Western China, maybe create a kind of breakaway uh, facilitate section. the political basis for you, right. a breakaway. And if you look at part a, of it, if you look at we the, the the kind of Uyghurstan, let's say, or Western, what do they call it? Western um, East, e sorry, East East Turkestan, East Turkestan, yeah. whatever in China, it pretty much borders that little land uh, corridor between uh, Afghanistan and China. Yeah, you know, and people that, have to remember that finger of a finger. Afghanistan a, is right, and the that, Chinese border, and that finger is part one of the one of the ways that uh, China and its one belt one road system is uh, or plan is is you know requires that that corridor for shipping and all that kind of stuff. It's been building all sorts of roads and railways through there, you know. So yeah, they have a major pipeline, kind of plus 
rail network. Yeah, they want to run. So to that. cut that off and create an independent state in 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 west in western China, of of a Uyghur independent state, blocking off that route between China and Afghanistan is uh, you know obviously part of the geopolitical uh, agenda, but. Um, for America to simply be to ha- to be able to have Afghanistan to justify being in Afghanistan for twenty years, they need to continue some kind of a, you know, they need to have a terrorist threat. You have to remember that the reason they were in Afghanistan was for terrorism, it was to spread freedom and democracy as always. But the primary motivation for going into Afghanistan was to hunt down Osama bin Laden, right? And it took them what like ten years until they actually found him in uh, in neighbouring Pakistan, supposedly. But uh, they were supposedly in Afghanistan all this time hunting down. Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda and whoever else. And the Taliban wasn't it wasn't really their thing. I mean, although Bush, as we saw at the beginning of the show, Bush was like the Taliban are coming down. So they just threw it all in together, basically, mm-hmm. you know. But now the Taliban are are being allowed to take their position apparently that they always always had as the rightful kind of rulers or government of of Afghanistan. And that was true in two thousand and one, and it's true today apparently. Uh, because of the way the because of the way things are developing, the, the Americans just have apparently over the past few years struck a deal with the Taliban for them to become the ruling party, government, whatever, in Afghanistan. And so all the stuff people are hearing in the news today about the, uh, the Taliban, like you know, this lightning kind of uh, adv- advance yeah. against is, is is just all it's fake news. It's all bullshit. I mean, yeah. it's in that sense, it's fake news because it's they're contrived. not telling you the context. It's contrived. They're not telling you that this was in, in the planning for two or three years by America, and they knew this was going to happen. And it's not this blitzkrieg. It's just them taking in as America taking. Moving into the area, the vacuum that, that's, that's that America is, is leaving, which is totally expected, obviously, yeah. as part of the plan. But yeah. the media watch the media, and it's like hand wringing and pearl clutching over, oh, the Taliban, what are they going to do to the women and all this kind of stuff? And it's just all, it is all literally fake news, you know? Yeah. Um, it's amazing that we get, for it's, saying that kind of thing, it's you, scripted get banned, theater. you get banned on YouTube for saying that, and, and the claim that us saying that is in itself fake news because it doesn't echo the, the complete provably, transparently fake bullshit news that you get from the mainstream media because they don't provide context. And if you don't provide context, then people can't understand. They get a totally distorted view of what's actually happening and it's all sensationalist, right? Yeah. A a small bit of context. Again, it it points to what you're saying that there's no way any of this happens without facilitation by the United States. This guy, Ghani Baradar, the new mullah, you know, with the big beard, the old veteran co-founder of uh, Taliban, so he's the co-founder of the Taliban. He survived from 1992 to today. That's the first thing. Okay, well, whatever. He, at one point, he was actually captured twice, but the most recent time he was captured was in Pakistan um, through a joint counterterrorism operation by Pakistani ISI and the CIA in February 2010. So from 2010, Baradar, who's about to become the new leader of Afghanistan, until 24th of October 2018 is in prison. Mm. Pakistan published that he was released on that day, 20, late 2018, at the request of the United States well, it State fits, Department. It fits with what we just showed earlier with this, this agreement that they made. This guy wasn't hiding in a cave and managing to avoid the, the awesome techno-military supremacy of the United States. How on earth did he do it? Mwahaha. No, they just let him out. He was let out. Uh, in line with a preconceived and planned transfer 
of power or ending of a conflict and the removal of US troops and allowing the Taliban to do what they would have always done and could have done 20 years ago and we would have had a much better Afghanistan today if America had not, like we keep saying, just squatted in the country and... Taken a great big dump. dump and just stopped, stopped any progress, really. Uh, that could have happened over 20 years. The guy who Progress signed- mediated, most importantly, by the countries, the major countries around Afghanistan that have yeah. significant and have had for a long time uh, interests in the country because, I mean, people may remember as well the, the mention of one trillion of minerals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Wesley Clark, not Wesley Clark, one of those other... McChrystal. McChrystal, maybe, <clears throat> saying that it was one trillion of different types of minerals like lead, copper, gold, silver, and a lot of rare earth minerals, minerals like lithium and different cobalt and different things that are important for your cell phones and, and you know computers and stuff so it's loaded with these but obviously the problem all along is, is extracting those and getting them to and if America, America never did that because no. what are they going to do with it how are they going to ship it out of the country look around Afghanistan where are they how are they first of all how are they going to logistically how are they going to get it back to America and well I don't think that would have been hard well a lot harder they than could, for the Chinese to do for, for me Right, because China, they, they well, don't have the local networks and connections, well, but they could also, have built it's China's them. backyard. America's, what, 7,000 miles away? Do you know what I mean? If you, if you want to bring it back home, imagine the logistics involved in bringing it back to America, shipping out tons on boats, like millions of tons of, of these different ores and different minerals back to America for you know, refining and all that kind of stuff, and then, to, to, in a sense, to, to control or to at least have access to those... those uh, those materials, rather than having to, which they have had for a long time, depend on China. Because China is a big resource, one of the major resources in the world for that. And China, over the past number of years, China kind of like has has restricted the flow of those essential, particularly the rare earth minerals for, for production of, you know, computers and electronics and all that kind of stuff. And that's one of the big kind of levers that China has, has had over the past number of years. And the U.S. has been uh, very interested, at least certain aspects within the U.S. government over the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years has been very interested in securing access to those kind of essential rare earth minerals for itself. Mm-hmm. But then one place, the obvious place was Afghanistan. Well, logistically, how do you do it? Is the thing so you you're, you're suggesting it was too, there were too many obstacles to fulfilling what would have been a more honest, genuine motive for being in Afghanistan. It was just too difficult. Because yeah. right at the beginning, remember the, the initial counter-argument, lefty conspiracy theory for why they were going into Afghanistan in, in October 2001. Mm-hmm. Everyone went, oh, duh, it's for oil, big mm-hmm. oil. The Caspian Sea pipeline connection, yeah. they want to b- bring it through Afghanistan. They want to keep China, Russia out, Iran. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. But oil pipelines were, and the gas a bit later maybe, but you were that, the counter-narrative. But you notice that didn't even happen. If that was true, happen. that didn't happen either. Because again, logistics. Car- Karzai, but, Hamid Karzai was yeah. a member of the consortium Unicall, that was to do it. Right. Why couldn't they make it happen well, because, for 20 years? Well, because the Taliban. What are they going to do? I mean, they, apparently they, they would keep they, sabotaging they, they, it. Yeah, efforts. I mean, it's very dangerous territory unless you've got a stable government. So they're there to try and stabilize the government. But nobody wanted a US uh, kind of proxy government. Nobody in Afghanistan apparently wanted, there was, no, there was no support for amongst the population for a US proxy government in Afghanistan. So they just basically said, listen, okay, we don't care. If you want to stay here, we'll just get on with life and you can just sit there and squat, and squat so, in the country. But you're not going to do anything. You're not going to get anything out of the country. You're, so, not, going to make, you're not going to achieve any of your goals. That- you, you seem to be saying, suggesting then that the Taliban said, fine. And they played chicken with them and they said, we'll wait it out. Pretty much, yeah. 
Well, there were no rush for freedom and democracy. There were no rush for some modern, highfalutin, newfangled kind of system of government in the country. They, they've been doing what they've been doing for you know, probably millennia. And they're like, meh, whatever, you know. Uh, we'll just stay outside of your kind of little green zones and control areas and... Uh, Periodically and we, and attack you or whatever. We, yeah, and where we always have, have been and, and we'll keep control out here and you can do whatever you want. And you, you have a think about it for 20 years, see what you're going to do, you know. But of course there is the... I mean, yeah, when I think about it enough and in detail, it's just the, the, the whole occupation of Afghanistan, although it has some geopolitical motivations, clear geopolitical motivations, and certainly did in 2001. Once you're in, it's hard to kind of leave, you know, if there's all sorts of kind of like influences and, and motivations to stay, and oh, if we just stay a bit longer, we can try a bit harder and stuff. But certainly over the past 20 years, and the past 20 years have been a very decisive 20 years in the history, in the history of, of, of the world, in the modern history yeah. of the world, and, and particularly in, in how, in, in ge geopolitically, uh, and what has happened over the past 20 years. And they just decided, I think, that, you know, sure, they had a few options of what they would try to do, but ultimately, simply being there and controlling that part of the world to avoid a kind of a knitting together, a Eurasian integration that was really, Af Afghanistan was important to. You know, there are many different, many other ways to prevent Eurasian integration over the past 20 or 30 or even longer years and that they employed. But one of them was simply to occupy that country, Afghanistan, which sits right in the center and would be important and a very important piece is a very important piece of land that in order to facilitate that kind of integration and like we mentioned China's so, expansionism westward one belt one road hooking up with Iran maybe pulling Pakistan and even pulling Iran, uh, India into the whole equation you know and we've talked about that or written about that uh, previously in terms of the influence on by, by Western powers on India to try and sow division between India and China and, you know, to stop basically Eurasian integration. I mean, we've talked about this many times, the whole pivot to Asia and Yaman McMaster and uh, who, what's that phrase? Who controls the, the scent, the... Who controls the heartland, <coughs> controls the world island right. or something like that. Yeah. Um, um, whoever controls the world, I controls the world, basically. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, for me, that's the there's a geopolitical motivation for. So if they couldn't achieve their po the, a positive want, which is the mineral extraction and control of inf uh, of mm -hmm. the pipe, the energy pipelines, if we can't positively secure that, then we'll just keep our Humvees parked there. And our B fifty two bombers keep it on because then no one else can get exactly. it either. Just if, if we can't have it now, you can't have it either. You know, um, and of course they, that that only worked so hot, so so far because they didn't control the entire country. They don't have enough troops to to saturate the entire country. And over the past number of years, uh, China has signed some mega deals with the Afghan government, even though it was a proxy U U.S. Right. government, signed some mega mining deals for copper and different things in different parts. Afghanistan, you know, so China was already, you know, making inroads into what it wants to do, which is, and it's bottom line, look at the map, it's China's backyard, as well as Russia's, arguably. So, I mean, those two countries, the, that's their, their the, if there's mineral welfare, and if that's part of a strategic, a strategic location to kind of knit together, if they have a vision of Eurasian integration where Russia, China, unites these smaller countries, all which have massive wealth, because like it's, it's most of the Eurasian landmass, then they should be entitled to do it, right? They should do it, it's, and it's good. It's good for progress. It's good for prosperity for the millions of, hundreds of millions of people in the region. But America looked at it and went, you know what? Nah, we don't want that to happen because you're a strong United Eurasia is a big threat to 
the dominance of mm. the West and the world, the Western yeah. global empire. Over the last decade, the Afghani elite that is allied with the West, so previously that's Hamid Karzai and the incumbent who's probably on his way out, um, Ashraf Ghani, in Kabul mostly, mm -hmm. and Herat, other places too, that elite have been calling for the US to get out so we can get on with. Yeah. Because they know the Taliban is pissed at this foreign usurper. Mm -hmm. So they wanted them to leave. Mm -hmm. But not this way. That they're, they're upset right now. Don't leave so fast because the Taliban is just flooding in and filling yeah, yeah. the vacuum. Yeah. And now they've got a gun pointed at our heads in Kabul. Um, but are, anyway, yeah. yes, they were the ones making those deals with China and mm -hmm. Russia. For sure. Um, well, that again, on, with at least some semblance of running the country, right? Yeah. And using the natural resource of the country, like doing international deals and letting other companies come in to, to, to extract and exploit their, their natural resources, obviously, and take a cut or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So that's how you make money. The country had to generate money from somewhere, right? Yeah. The Taliban is, it, like I was saying before, the Taliban and Taliban, this, it's changed. Um, the expert on this is Pepe Escobar because he was writing about this in detail from Afghanistan mm -hmm. in the late 90s. And I think he even ventured over there in the early crazy days after 9-11. He wrote recently that the 2021 Taliban have little in common with the 2001 pre-war on terror incarnation. The movement has evolved from a largely Pashtun rural guerrilla insurgency to a more inter-ethnic arrangement incorporating Tajis, Uzbeks, and even Shiite Muslims, a group that was mercilessly persecuted during the 96 to 2001 years of Taliban mm -hmm. power. There's a fundamental shift. The Taliban, remember, is born out of the Mujahideen, which is born out of Saudi oil funds mm -hmm. and Wahhabist ideology. It's attracting um, Sunni Muslims big time in the region to the exclusion of and the vociferous resistance against the largely Shiite Northern Alliance, who are ethnically, like they say, of, of the stands, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan. Mm -hmm. That was the original divide, roughly north and south. That's changed. Yeah. They're united now. It's no longer on an ethnic basis and no longer on uh, a sectarian basis. They've learned that, the lessons of the last three decades and, of the war on terror. And left... And, left to their own devices within a few years They'll sort of, shit of out. the 2000s, they would have sorted this out. In 2003, 2004, yes. you, would be, you, would be, you would have been saying what you're saying right now. Pepe Escobar would have been saying uh, in 2003 or 2004 that the, that the Taliban of 2001 are no longer the same Taliban of 2003-2004. They're more, they're more multi-ethnic and, and, you know, tolerant and inclusive and all that kind of stuff. And from 2003-2004, you would have had Till now, you would have had 15, 16 years of a stabilizing, progressively stabilizing Afghan government, which, of course, would have immediately looked to China, Iran, Iran, Russia, Russia, <coughs> which was a big no-no. And that's, that's why America was there. And all these stupid American uh, soldiers who are on Twitter complaining about, you know, what did we sacrifice all, our, you know, our effort and time and our comrades and all this kind of stuff for and all the, all the bravery and courage we left in the battlefield. And what do we do it for if you're just going to up and leave? They don't understand You were duped. It. They're duped. They're, you I were mean, duped. They're, but that's the case for most. Uh, Official death toll is 2,500 troops sold, uh, 2,500 regular yeah. plus almost 4,000 contractors. Yeah. And that's not to say something like probably somewhere up. 50,000 Afghan civilians. Right. Yeah. Well, that was worth it for nothing.
right. two tr- trillion with a T dollars. Yeah. Well, that's only, ta- that's only American taxpayers' dollars. They don't need it. They just keep printing it, right? Yeah. The Fed, Fed will support it. But nevertheless, they could have just, what, stayed for five decades more. I mean, it was so interminable. People just, your eyes gloss over when you mm-hmm. hear Taliban, mm-hmm. Afghanistan, the long war, whatever. It's like long COVID. Okay. Mm-hmm. So nevertheless, a decision was made in the recent other, years yes, to skedaddle. But again, the other aspect, and that's the mainstay in all of this, is that uh, military occupation of another country like 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 Afghanistan, like the US has done in Afghanistan, is very useful in and of itself. It's a justification, it's a reason in and of itself. It doesn't have to have any of the reasons that we explained. First and foremost, the reason is to have a live combat zone for a large military that is pretty useless in peacetime. Mm-hmm. If you, what do you do? With a large military and all the we- all the gadgetry and all the weapons that you've been developing and putting money into, if you can't use any of them, and that's the same for any major, particularly Western. Uh, how does Raytheon fill contract orders right. if there's no? Well, how do you also build the build the public purse? You know, how does the military build the public purse? How does it justify its military it, its military budgets every year if it doesn't use the budget that it got last year? You know, you give X billion to the U.S. military for its you know functioning. But it, what does it do? Or is it going to put it into like uh, buying uh, Happy Meals for, for soldiers back in their base in America? You know, you've got to spend that money. And to spend military money, uh, you got to have, well, you got to drop bombs and shoot guns and stuff like that and equip soldiers and, you know, all the logistics involved in having a, 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 an army overseas. So in and of itself... In and of itself, it's, it's, it's it was rewarding. It's, it's because rewarding. like I said before, it's like a, one of the poorest countries on earth. It's desert, right. much of it, or barren. It's like, if you put yourself into a certain mindset, it's like, awesome. Mm-hmm. Military proving ground. We no longer have to drop bombs in the Nevada desert to test something out. Let's do it in the real time. Right. I remember a major drive in the mid-late 2000s by NATO, leaning on European countries especially, Please, please send, just rotate contingents over here. It'll look good on the press. You'll say you're doing a bit as the co- part of the coalition of the willing. Mm-hmm. But, but and they said it's explicit, but also you'll, you'll give your boys, your Polish troops, your Bundeswehr from Germany, mm-hmm. you'll give them real-time practice in a real war yeah. theater. And then the military types everywhere would have gone, okay, yeah, well, but there's no real drawback. The Taliban is no real military threat. Right. We have the firepower over them. We'll blow them from the sky. And, uh, yeah, come over and we'll get some real real training, real hands-on training. Yeah. And that in itself, yeah, that's the rationale. That's a positive reason for War. doing it, for maintaining it. Yeah, more is a, is a justification. Along those lines, then. We are, hang on a second. We have a, a question from a viewer. Thor would like to know, will it be helpful for Iran that the Taliban is back? Yes. Well, probably. I, Iran and Taliban are at each other's throats in the, in the 90s to the extent that there's a still as yet unsolved incident um, in which 11 Iranian diplomats were slaughtered in Mazar-e Sharif, which is in the north of Afghanistan. I think the anniversary of that just passed last week. That was in 1998. And at that point, they were like, there's no way we're coming back from this. Tehran's official position is the Taliban are evil. 
they got to go. But um, in the last two months, Taliban, including this guy, Baradar, were personally flying in and out of Tehran to bury that hatchet. Mm-hmm. So they are now as comrades yeah. in the greater focus, which is get all foreign troops out of Afghanistan. You've got to remember that Af- Iran has been slammed from two sides by both of these wars, Iraq and, and Afghanistan, because what happened, what we discussed, what was happening to a small extent up in the north of Afghanistan, where terrorism and supporters and ideology were flowing into Western China. That was happening in Iran to a far greater extent. They have, a, they have the biggest border. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, excuse me, after Pakistan, Iran shares the biggest border with Afghanistan. And they had a separatist movement, the Balochistan uh, separatist movement, uh, under various names, mm-hmm. Jundal yeah, something. Yeah. Do you remember them? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the, uh, some incredible stories throughout the... One of the highlights of the war was when they captured... Um, they captured a guy en route back into Afghanistan. And he had like CIA documentation, all sorts of stuff with him. He was literally a CIA operative working for a separatist movement in Afghanistan, or in Iran, but from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So their interests are like totally mutual. It's like, we need to secure our border with Afghanistan. If you can do it, you do it. Mm-hmm. We, will accept, we will accept a crazy sunny group if need be. Talking about securing borders, what about what was going on in uh, war games recently? Yeah, let's have a look at this. Um, this is, it's just concluded on August 5th. Massive Russian-led war games um, taking place on Tajikistan's border with Afghanistan in the north. Look at the scale of this. The Russians mobilized and sent down tanks, um, their version of the uh, Apache helicopters, air force, parachute drops, massive amounts of artillery for huge war game scenario. This is right as... Involving Uzbek and Tajik troops. The Taliban are taking over. Yeah. Or just in advance of it. Not the first time they've had this game, but probably the first time they've had this game right up on Afghanistan's border. Basically, basically just a show of force to say to the Taliban, don't even think about it. Yeah. You're not even getting a, a, a centimeter of, uh, of Tajikistan or any of the other stands that border Afghanistan, right? Don't be getting carried away, you know? It showed, it, for, to me, and the fact that the Russians were heavily involved in that and probably you know, led that, those, suggested and led those, those military games were, says to me that uh, you know, Russia's uh, <laughs> fairly suspicious of the, what's these, happening, of what's right happening in Afghanistan and the intentions of, of the Americans and what they might be up to. So they're just taking no, uh, taking no chances. And, uh, <clears throat> that's a shooting. They need some giant fish. They all need to be equipped with uh, the fish that we have, far more effective. At the same time, incidentally, Russia and China held massive war games somewhere in Western China. 
um, which concluded August 5th. Oh, my oh, favorite. That's some real shoes, Dean. That's Russian style. Yeah. Mass barrage of grads. So, yeah, the Russians and Chinese, now they've been holding joint war games for several years. But, first time, I think, just concluded last week, first time the Russians agreed to allow Russian uh, their forces to be integrated under Chinese command. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's close stuff when you... That's effectively what NATO does. When NATO does it, it's... NATO's the ideological cover. What it really is, is right. Western powers are agreeing to let their Bundeswehr, their French forces, their Belgian forces, the British forces to be under America's command. Yeah, we're, allowing, we're allowing you to be under us. We're allowing you to, to take directions from us. And what, you a, have, what a favor. And you have now corresponding actions taking place. Right. And yeah. Obviously, they're, they're part of the CTSO, the, I can't remember what it stands for, the Central Asian umbrella. But really, that's under Moscow's direction. Mm-hmm. And then Moscow itself, <clears throat> in parallel, at the same time, is prepared to demonstrate that militarily it's ready to subsume under Chinese-led force, if need be. So that's the kind of levels of cooperation and integration that developed militarily mm. in Eurasia mm. these past 20 years. Now, you say, well, what would have happened in the absence of America? Well, maybe America, it took America doing what it did in Afghanistan to light a fire under yeah, the asses yeah, of yeah. Beijing, That's true as well. Yeah. Moscow, what Would that Tehran. have happened? Yeah, you can say that Afghanistan would have kind of knitted together. Well, that all implies a peace, peaceful world, right? A, a world in which, you know, people, there are no great, uh, great games and uh, warring... Uh, factions, global warring factions. Uh, in that scenario, yeah, I'd say, you know, a kind of a Eurasian integration would have happened naturally and um, even without the threat posed by America, you know. Maybe it sped it up a little bit and made the, the integration tighter between for, for between Russia and Russia and China and Iran, the, the kind of like the... the <clears throat> piling up that Iran and Russia have been doing over the over the past uh, five or ten years as well, you know. So and and even China, all the deals China's making, in, you know, for oil extraction, all that kind of stuff in Iran. There's a lot of knitting together. Would that have happened as as tightly and as closely as it has without the threat opposed to those those countries by America? Maybe not as tightly, but it would have happened because economically it makes sense uh, with with technology. And that awesome Chinese power to build roads and whatever else the hell they want in like 24 hours and stuff. Like, I mean, you know, they would yeah. have, they always were going to go with that route of integrating uh, e- economies on the Eurasian landmass. That was always going to happen. Um, so, yeah. To, but, to the, to, and, and pay the minimal price hmm. to your national sovereignty. Right. I mean, the two offers on choice, people, people do this all the time when they talk about Chinese influence in Africa. Oh, well, it's just a form of neocolonialism. Well, hold on a second. The, the offer here is, yes, you will lose some of your national sovereignty for our economic influence. Right. That's what we're offering. The Western alternative is we'll blow your country to smithereens mm-hmm. and then we'll rebuild it to our, hand out to our no-bid contractors who we like. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe we won't. We'll just take the cash and back off. Yeah. Uh, wrong, so, yeah, yeah it, it's kind of... There's a qualitative differences between the two. Yeah. A, a small detail. This, this is really curious in terms of narratives and uh, <clears throat> theatrical scripts for the masses. The original deal between the, the Trump administration, whatever, was the State Department 
happened to agree with Trump on this issue. The original deal signed in February 29, 2020, was that by May 1st, 2021, all foreign forces would be out. The Biden administration put that off. And they put that off. They said they wanted the final date to be September 11th, mm -hmm. 2021. For God's sake, they made a point of making it be the 20th anniversary of 9-11 for this Saigon-like moment. Mm -hmm. Maybe they... I guess maybe they're deluded. Maybe is that just to speak to their hubris and their delusion that they thought they could go out just as they thought they could go in welcomed with flowers and song and cheering that they could go out with flowers and song and cheering on the it's, date of 9-11? It's pretty pathetic. It's kind of like trying to underline it as, a, as you know, the definitive ending. The end of an era. End of the era. Maybe it is the end of an era, especially now that we're in the COVID era. Um, you know, uh, and like as we mentioned, that, that there's that strangely coincidental uh, timing of the agreement signed with, between the U.S. And the, and the Taliban, effectively, to say, here, you can have the country two weeks before lockdowns happened. Um, yeah, because we are in a different era now, I think, and it's going somewhere very different. That We'll probably see a lot less of this kind of imperial warmongering and all that kind of stuff going on. And A lot less. What if this doesn't just end the longest war, America's longest war? What if this ends war, period, forever? I'm serious because <clears throat> what's, what's Russia them? puts their foot down in Syria in 2015 and the empire just goes, has a freak out. But that's all it can do. Yep. It, it tries to keep it going, send yep. more money, send more terrorists. That's what I was speaking to earlier. They ended up divulging what they've been doing mm -hmm. throughout this war on terror. Just shipping in jihadis. Because they were like, keep it going, keep it going. And they ended up spilling the truth of what they were doing. But really, it's, it's under control. They got, they got them cornered in Idlib. Afghanistan will presumably have to go through a similar process where there are still lots of... That's probably, you said they were possibly the Russians were sending a message to the Taliban. No messing. What if they were sending a message to how many other tens of thousands mm -hmm. that have been acting as... Under the For name sure, of yeah, Taliban, yeah. No, that's what I was, I was, I was thinking. ISIS of. More, in so Afghanistan, Taliban, right? Right. Whoever the U.S. have been shipping, whoever has been committing atrocities against Afghan civilians right. under the name of Taliban. jihadi proxy forces, yeah, who could still be in Afghanistan, counter, can the, be used the to death squads, the counterinsurgency forces sure. set up by the Americans. That infrastructure now needs to be cleared up. Yeah. But assuming that more or less takes place as it has more or less happened in Syria, mm -hmm. what what is an imperial war structure? with its massive fleets of military equipment and its massive arms industry back home. What is it to do if it has nowhere to go? Back home. If it's locked in by rising Eurasian powers, where does the energy slash go. innovation go? It goes N home. Nowhere to go but downhill. If your entire raison d'etre, your, your hidden economy or your behind-the-scenes the, the, the might of America is based on having, you know, perpetual war overseas and plundering of resources and all that kind of stuff. If that stops and grinds to a halt, uh, then, you know, it, it could be bad news for, uh, for, for the empire, you know. Economically, at least, it could be bad news. Maybe then we should play the tiniest news clip from NBC News from two nights ago. Um on new upcoming potential terror threats mm. in the United States. Mm -hmm. 
Kowalski, NBC News. A new terror alert has been issued by Homeland Security tonight. Pete Williams is here. Pete, what do we know about this? Let me know, well, Pete. DHS says this new terrorism advisory is not based on any actual threats or plots, but it says there's a Good. rise in anti-government rhetoric. Some of it is opposition uh -huh. to COVID public health rules like vaccine measures. Some calls for violent action are based on claims of election fraud or a belief that Donald Trump can be reinstated. And DHS says Outrageous. the coming 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks and religious holidays later this year could be catalysts for violence. The last terror advisory was issued in May. It expired today. This new one says domestic extremism remains Next a threat says, priority, Lester. This new right, one says, holy shit. You. All right. Uh, so terrorists. That was it. That was all. That, oh, go, yeah, go back to that. So he said terrorist rhetoric around COVID vaccine. So maybe that, that explains why YouTube bans, censors some of our videos. Because we're he effective. Us as well, according to the DHS, well, not them, but the, the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, uh, classifies what we're saying as terrorist rhetoric because it's opposition to COVID measures. Do you, did you know that you had been spouting terrorist rhetoric for the past few weeks? I suspected it as soon as they declared that anyone supporting or anyone in any way questioning supporting whatever the Capitol Hill quote insurrection that was the worst thing to happen to us since Pearl Harbor. It was Pearl Harbor times. Was a terrorist or terrorist supporter? Mm. Yeah. So you're a terrorist then. Well, th this is where we're at now. Anything and everything is terrorism. Have you now? Can you pull? You can you pull that back up, Scotty? A member of Al Qaeda. Neil. That's the bulletin that's based on. But here, this is the claims of election fraud. But the, obviously, the, the the main one that everyone's singing about at the moment is the COVID issue. I do not feel bad now about terrorizing people with my rhetoric. I mean, if only I knew. If only I had known, I would. I can't imagine the number of people I've terrorized. Can you imagine? Cowering their cowering in their in their in their houses, you know, while they're watching these videos, terrorized. By my rhetoric, probably more 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 terrorized by yours than mine. If Afghanistan hadn't happened, like you said, the DHS, well, it wouldn't have been created <laughs> to start with. But anyway, it was created after nine eleven. DHS and the media putting up stuff like this wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't work. The reality. only reason you can have a seamless transition from the closing. Effectively, the end of the war on terror era today. On a segue into, into that, is because of uh, everything that took that place. That came before, yeah. So but they're good at segueing. They seem to. I mean, the segues are so natural that it's almost as if it's kind of like it's not that it's planned, but that there's a single track mind running all these things. You know what I mean? I mean, if you look back at what. It's gone on since 9-11. I mean, it's all been very seamless, you know what I mean? Right up until today and yeah. transitioned into uh, no more imperial wars, divesting from Afghanistan. Iraq's pretty quiet. Have you heard much about Iraq recently? No, Syria, all very quiet. Where else is there? The, you know, uh, the Rohingya, I don't know, the Uyghurs, nah. What, the only thing you hear, obviously the only thing you've been hearing for the past 18 months is COVID. And now we're hearing not just COVID pandemic stuff, but we're hearing terror, terrorist rhetoric around not being happy with COVID safety measures. So, um, yeah, are we the new terrorists? Is that thing? Well, I, you, I know you're a terrorist already, but I mean, am I a terrorist as well? 
In that shirt. Yeah. Boogaloo boy. Well, it's, well, it's fairly, 100%. It's fairly, yeah. It's terrific. Is that the same as terror, terrorism? Terrific. Anyway, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's all a bit uh, freaky. And uh, where's it going to go? Let's get your crystal ball out there. People want to know what's going to happen next week. Let's do a flashback three decades ah, to on. the previous segue from effectively the end of the war on communism yeah. into the war on Islamic fundamentalism. Oh, yeah. Can we pull up... Um, I have a... Pull up... It's a page from a book. Beside the gas station, Scotty. Ooh. Okay, so we're going to have to provide some context. But this is this is a book called Voices from the Grave. It's basically the recorded statements made by two guys on opposite sides of the contrived sectarian war mm. in Northern Ireland in the 70s and 80s. On the pro-Irish nationalist Catholic side, what was his name? Um, I've forgotten it already. O'Neill. Uh, Somebody O'Neill. The guy with the big mush, bushy moustache. No, he, he's a product. Brendan O'Neill. Brenton O'Neill. Brendan O'Neill. Brenton O'Neill. Yeah. And on the opposite, loyalist pro-British side. David Irving. David Irving. So the book is basically two halves, and one has the uh, recorded statements shortly before they, not before they, they had them recorded before they, while is they were alive. And then, but the agreement that this yeah. uh, writer would not publish. These were two individuals until on they died. opposing sides of the dirty war in Northern Ireland, which was a war against the IRA that most people know about, uh, waged uh, against the IRA and the kind of nationalist Catholic population of Northern Ireland by the British state effectively using proxies, you know, loyalist Protestant inhabitants of Northern Ireland as kind of proxy terrorists. And they were basically fighting with each other, although the IRA was fighting against British occupation of Northern Ireland. And the loyalist paramilitaries, the locals in the country, were weaponized by the British, uh, you know, MI5, military intelligence, whatever, too. So you have, on both sides of that, you have these two guys who were involved in it for 30 years. And they have a lot of secrets, you can imagine, and, and, and dirty dirty tactics to uh, to reveal uh, but so they spoke to the Boston some project from Boston University yeah. that said they would record the interview them and they could give it no holds barred interviews and tell all with the proviso that none of it would be released until after they after they died now they died uh, four or five five or six seven eight years ago or something like that yeah. and then the tapes were released and this guy who wrote this book that we're looking at a page from he basically listened to all the tapes and put together what was on the tapes of, of, of note or of interest. And this one page talks about? It talks about David Irvin recounting his trip to Washington, D.C. in the early 90s. So in the early 90s, the quote-unquote peace process in the north of Ireland begins. Mid-90s. Led by, mid-90s, led by what was then the Clinton administration in the U.S. and the major, and then, yeah, the British John Major government in the U.K., mm -hmm. And later by Tony Blair's Labour government. But at the time, right, part, step one was, okay, get everyone to stop fighting. Okay. And step two was to start to recognize the leaders from both sides and get them over here for talks. Delegations. And each side would send delegations to New York to talk to big wigs in uh, the State Department. State Department and in Clinton's government. So David Irvin on the loyalist side, when his group went over, he learned some interesting things. He says here at the beginning, um, he said he gained insight into how they think in Washington. 
As far as the mandarins of Washington were concerned, its concern was about fighting its own wars. Peace in Northern Ireland would free up British military resources for use against the United States' new emerging enemy, militant Islam. Okay, so further down below, in his own words, this is what he said. This is what the, the guy in, in the State Department in Washington said. Oh, yes. Okay, so he's talking to the, the British liaison officer in the U.S. State Department, who's trying to explain to them why suddenly D.C. is both friendly to – not just – because the, the unions went to America with the expectation that they would only find overwhelming pro-Irish Republican right. support. So he was skeptical about the whole peace process, this, yeah. this representative of the Protestant paramilitary force. He was skeptical about it and he said – he's like, I don't think this is going to go anywhere and this is where he was told that, yeah, it is actually going to go somewhere. Don't worry about it. We're going to draw – put an end to it. And he said – so he's told by the British attaché at the U.S. State Department, well, you know, the IRA don't have buccaneer bombers. They don't have aircraft carriers. And we need to help sew up the British exchequer so that we can take on the next big battle in the world. We all looked at him, what? And he said, Islamic fundamentalism. That was in November 1994. Right, seven years before 9-11. So seven years before 9-11, <clears throat> the US State Department and the British government, intel types, were planning seven years before 9-11 to have a war on Islamic terrorism. Nobody else in the world knew that at the time, but they did. And in order to pursue that war on Islamic terrorism, that hadn't even really begun. Because it was like, this was less than or about one year after the first World Trade Center bombing, yeah. which was like, you know... Well, it was a hint of things to it come. It was a hint, but there was no... You couldn't use that as some... Uh, to, to segue into kind of like, to oh, we, we big, need to launch a global yeah, war on terrorism. Yeah. There was no way it was happening. So a year after that, this guy's told us we're having a war. It's coming up. Eventually, we're going for a war, a global war on Islamic terrorism, seven years before 9-11. And the reason this is relevant or is talked about in this, uh, in, in this book is because as part of that, the British government was going to play, obviously, being America's best buddy in, in all things war, uh, was going to have to free up its resources, financial and military, and therefore the Irish-Northern Ireland conflict was going to be made to go away, which it had been running at that point for about 25 years, and it pretty much ended, true to this guy's words, it ended very soon after that in a definitive way, and uh, it just shows that at any point in the, in the 25 yeah, years, they, they, could, could, have, they could have drawn a line on it and said, this is done. But they didn't. But they didn't they maintained it for before, its own reasons. Which is what we said, that war is any kind of conflict for a state military is a justification. In itself. In and of itself, in order to justify military budgets and to have somewhere to have your little soldiers go out shooting. And to try new things. Yeah. New weapons, new techniques. Yeah. New intel techniques, new kind of like, yeah, running running different kind of groups, in, especially in a, in a kind of like a, a urban, you know, low-intensity conflict situation because anybody can have a big war where you just go and drop a load of bombs, you know, like, like in Libya, just blow the crap out of Libya from the air. But more more interesting, I think, for any government and for these military intelligence types and for military types is... Uh, urban war in a western country, not in some far off rocky desert place around the world where you just, yeah, you just drop bombs or you just drop soldiers in for a bit of skirmish and then you go. 
but having to deal with a native population and how you would, you know, go about a big part of it is, you know, obviously there's a military aspect to it, but a big part of it is infiltrating groups within your native population that are opposed to the government uh, and want some kind of redress or want to get rid of the government or something and they're, they're fighting against the government and how you deal with that. And uh, that's a very valuable uh, experience yes. to, to be had because governments always have an eye to that actually being necessary in their own countries. And yeah. now you link that then to COVID terrorists uh, or um, a terrorist threat from people who, uh, among others, aren't happy with COVID safety measures, I think they call them, um, then, you know, you can, I'm not saying you can put two and two together and come out with a slam dunk, but it should give you pause for thought. Yeah. It's one, th okay, yeah. It's one thing that they might, I mean, well, in Australia, they've got the military going door to door with the police yep. right now. That's a hint of a literal transfer, but it's one thing that the military then redirects resources to, quote unquote, quelling domestic insurgencies but even shy of that we can already say that the application of other valuable information maybe not the use of military tactics per se but psychological warfare lessons learned well, that's that's the big part of it that's, a, that's especially huge. for domestic uh, domestic operations it's a, a big part of it is, is psychological operations but also like i said infiltrating groups like look at the capitol hill riot that's a kind of like for anybody who knows anything about this and knows how it's counterinsurgency one hundred one how it's been used over the over the years by Western Western powers. It's like yeah, it's 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 very clear. It's only for the idiots who think that it was some kind of a revolution, you know, nine eleven times a thousand revolution, whatever. Uh, this is a threat to our democracy. This was an FBI sting operation or an FBI terror plot, effectively, uh, but not involving some kind of jihadi or Muslim, <clears throat> but involving Trump supporters who were. Who, uh, some of them, a group of them, maybe infiltrated or members, you know, agents working for the state, like i.e. the FBI, acting on in their name, acting on on their behalf in a way that uh, uh, demonizes them and makes them look like terrorists. That's anybody who, <clears throat> again, it's like it's not. This isn't a conspiracy theory. This is for anybody who knows how military intelligence and domestic civilian intelligence operations work and have worked for a very long time, can immediately see that in the capital, quote-unquote, riot, that's exactly what it was at play. Yeah. I mean, there's been senator, senators, and I'm not sure if it was a senator or a congressman, have said that much of, uh, um, in terms of commenting on the, the capital riot, asking these questions that they don't get answers to about how much did the FBI know uh, about uh, the, 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 riot, the people who were in the, in the capital that day and who are the people that the FBI won't reveal the names of who are implicated, who are uh, put, put down as, what's the term, uh, whatever it is, they're basically, uh, like not witnesses, but they're interested parties type yeah. thing, but they won't reveal their name. They're probably people who are working for the FBI and they were in the cap, they were the ones leading the the others yeah. into a trap, basically, yeah. that they, through which they would be demonized and you had the whole debacle afterwards. It's, it's very simple. Yeah, uh, but, but it's but with, as but with uh, conspiracy. That's still it is a conspiracy. But anyway, that still falls under Cointerpol one hundred and one. I could yeah. imagine Frank Kitson. Yeah, go back to like the Black in Panthers in the sixties, or even yeah. the Mau Mau. Yeah, the Black Panthers in America. It's still the same tactics. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure. thinking of the tech, the technology as well. Yeah, well, it's definitely evolved. The, the information warfare levels. Stanley McChrystal was the general in charge of U.S. troops in Afghanistan during Obama. Obama. 
Obama. I didn't mean to say that. Obama. Stanley McChrystal then, re- well, he's actually fired by Obama for some reason or another. Mm. But then he goes and he's a private citizen and he sets up his, like all the rest of them, McChrystal Associates. He pops up in the news last year in the election cycle. Why? Because he started a company that took some of the tactics information-wise that were used against the population in Afghanistan to to black propaganda, basically, to turn them against their would-be protectors, essentially the Taliban, in the U.S. election. And they said it, they announced it, it was in the American press in June last year, Stanley McChrystal's company um, using a program they called Defeat Disinfo Mm. was going to heavily bombard Trump supporters at the level of information, not like sending leaflets to their home, but where they would hear messaging on Facebook and social media um, with basically as much BS as they could possibly bear about Trump, um, how much of it worked. It probably was ineffective. But my point is simply that the transfer of knowledge and tactics directly back home Mm -hmm. into domestic political strife is there's a direct chain of of connection there. Mm Um, other atrocities psych- at the psychological level in Afghanistan Terror Tuesdays that involved conventional warfare the disposition matrix do you remember that? What was Terror Tuesdays? Terror Tuesdays was every Tuesday Obama would sit down and he'd be given he'd be, yeah. a committee would come in from the Pentagon yeah, and they'd tell him got your terrorism report sir no they, yeah, they'd line up these are the guys this week. Yeah. And Obama had to give the thumbs up, like a, like a Roman emperor, thumbs up or thumbs down. Right. And uh, it was thumbs up, few buttons are pressed, drone strike. <laughs> Gone. Right. Threat eliminated. The opposite, thumbs down was th- drone strike. Maybe thumbs down was yeah. thumbs strike. In true, in true um, uh, Roman emperor fashion. And related to that was the disposition matrix. You see, the Taliban, in a sense, it was an awesome proving ground for the for their... Uh, counter intel and um, surveillance techniques because it was a population that did not have high tech. Right. The Taliban quickly learned to not use mobile Taliban. phone networks in the early 2000s. And so they, they went old school. But still, what they did was they could use a combination of satellite and other tech to f- f- metadata. They, re- in fact, relied exclusively on metadata to pinpoint. They didn't. They didn't actually pinpoint movements and stuff. What they did was they came up with a kind of a map of the likelihood, almost like if you can imagine something statistic like heat maps of the population mm. and then zoom in on it. And they, they thought the tech was awesome. They zoomed in on these six guys here are most likely to be disruptors right. or dissidents or whatever. Right. And on the basis of that, the disposition matrix, the, I think it was basically <clears throat> meant to be the matrix that could, using AI, that could tell them who's most likely to be ill-disposed right. to us and our munificence. Yeah. But and no, they didn't really believe that. The, well, the fun, the reason, the rationale for doing it was like, okay, we're flying dark with a population that's actually low-tech. Can we still control the minutiae of their lives and drone them from wherever we want? Yeah, and yeah. they did. And Terror Tuesday was, they bring in the report and they say, these six guys, we don't even have a face. We don't have a photo of them. We don't even know their freaking names. 
but our, our AI is telling us Says that they're, they're the ones to get this week and then the war will go our way and we can tell the media that everything's going awesome. Yeah. Drone strike. Unless we get forty or 50,000 uh, civilian casualties over 20 years. Yeah, wedding parties, funerals. They didn't give a shit, but it looked good for the report to bring to Obama, a good report mm. in the media. The, the investors in the company go, wow, that's really awesome. You know, okay, more money for you. Mm-hmm. McChrystal retires from public service, takes his tech, says, here you go. Uh, Biden, uh, not the Biden administration, I don't know who, I guess the State Department paid for the contract under Trump's nose to work against him in the campaign last year. Probably still had zero effect informationally. Trump mm-hmm. supporters are Trump supporters because they ignore most of the media. Right. Nevertheless, that's the kinds of things that are going on. Mm-hmm. Lessons mm-hmm. learned from yeah, it's pretty scary. subjecting pretty... and occupying a foreign country yeah. applied domestically. And it's not just the tech, the, the ability, but over the course of 20 years of a country and its leadership doing that and signing off on those kind of like fairly brutal and human uh, policies obviously includes torture, the whole torture business with the CIA over the past 20 years. I mean, they were torturing people before that, but it really ramped up after 9-11. Uh, there's a kind of ponderization of the entire system, of the entire yeah. gov- governing system there uh, that is, is, is a real scary thing because it's not, it's not necessarily the tech they have or the abilities they have to, uh, to target an, a, a domestic population, but it's their willingness. It's the increasing it. lack, consciousness, lack of consciousness that right. it is. They've galvanizes sold in them. Yeah, well, they've sold their soul over the past 20 years, basically. And then they and can look at their own population and see them as dehumanized. As enemy combatants. As threats. Yeah. And act so, yeah. accordingly. Uh, yeah. Do we have any earth changey type stuff going on this, uh, this past week? There was a major earthquake in Haiti. Poor Haiti keeps getting slammed. Like, I mean, yeah. there was one, there was a big earthquake. What, what was that like? 2009, actually. Right. And uh, January to, 2009. You have to wonder about that. But, 2010. <coughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, pretty big. I mean, something like 300 plus people killed. Well, you know, Hugo Chavez claimed the Americans did that. Hugo Chavez claimed that the first earthquake in 2009 was somehow done by America. He, but he never, he never explained why he thought that. No. And he said it once or twice and then was quiet about it. Mm. But there was a little bit of data to support it because 20,000 U.S. Marines were on standby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And deployed within days. Mm-hmm. And that can't happen, as we know, just discussed earlier, about mm-hmm. the movement of troops and equipment. If it's happening overnight, it yeah. means it, it was been planned, planned long before. Advance, so. yeah. yeah, yeah. For sure. There were four. I've um, heard from one of our, our, our Earth Change watchers. There were four major earthquakes above seven in recent days. Mm-hmm. Haiti was one. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, there was an underwater volcano that blew in, uh, in the island chain that stretches from south of Japan. Right. There's a very faint video of it because it's so remote. But there's a volcano that's previously dormant and it just blew up out of the water, sending ash mm-hmm. many miles high. Yeah, well, it's getting to the point where you... Oh, st- Turkey. Right. Holy schmoly. Turkey, right, twice last month, its northern sea resorts, uh, Black Sea resorts were slammed. In the interim, it had the major wildfires in the south, forcing tourists to flee off boats. Right. It's currently baking like 50 degrees mm-hmm. on the southern coast, Mediterranean coast of Turkey. In the north, again, for the third time in four weeks, uh, resorts in the north got slammed. It was unbelievable. They're talking about like 300 millimeters of rain in 24 hours. There is no, 
that's like several years worth of rain in one go. Mm -hmm. That's beyond like a year's worth of rain in one day. That's Mm -hmm. several years. Yeah. It was so bad that it's basically like a tidal wave of rain from land out to sea. It washed people and buildings and cars out to the sea. Uh And then the sea and the tides brought it back in. It was Mm -hmm. horrifying. Yeah. That's, Um, I mean, not again, we kind of think that it's, you know, because the, you know, the, especially with the COVID business and stuff and, and our perspective on it, it's like you'd almost wish for something natural to occur in order to kind of divert attention and, and, and wake people up in a certain sense or at least kind of like make the whole COVID hysteria a thing of the past, you know, because people are so indulging their own hysteria and it's so much and governments are going pretty totalitarian and stuff. Well, what's uh, horrifying is that they're submitting. Mostly, it well, seems. People, yeah, and people are submitting to it. But so you'd almost kind of think that you know you'd like for something, something not contrived by human by human by deviant human minds to kind of enter the scene, like some kind of a natural catastrophe or something like that, something major uh, to to kind of wake people up. You know, the, the idea being that it might wake people up or shock them out of their their zombie zombified state, basically. Um, but then when you see the effects of natural disasters you can't think twice because you go jesus christ you know uh, is that meant to be better that's meant to be the solution to it you know so um it's just going to free people out yeah and the governments already have an a narrative in waiting for it don't they climate change, climate change. it's all your fault everything's your fault everything's what's happening fault. yeah they're, effect- they're effectively COVID's going to fault. be told what the priestly classes in ancient times were telling the people Y'all didn't slaughter enough of your innocence. Bring forth your youngest and yeah. we'll appease the gods. That, some, that's some effectively, ver- metaphorically, we hope. Um, well, that's what we're doing with COVID in a certain sense. I mean, COVID is like, COVID's the population's fault. It's at least the ones who are, well, certainly the unvaccinated. But even the vaccinated, you know, it's like, it's like I think implicitly can, it's your fault because well, I think, you're, a, you're, you're a petri dish, you're, you're an incubator for this virus and it's the government's just trying to help you, but it's really your fault because you keep spreading it, you keep walking around, you keep doing normal things. So it's your fault that you're suffering this COVID business. And if anything comes along naturally, then it's also your fault because you're driving your car too much or you're, you know, emitting too much CO2 or your cows are farting too much or something like yeah, that. You know? Yeah, yeah, so It all comes back to the government blaming humans for all the things that are besetting and probably will continue uh, to beset people and probably increase in their severity over the next uh, period of time. There's going to be no point where it's like, is there some other explanation to this other than it's my fault? Yeah. It, no, it's it's... We discussed it last week, but the, what the the Nazi leadership was telling the German population mm. that our woes are the result of a virus that we must eliminate. Okay, mm. so there's a pure um, a purity issue, and but it can be ameliorated with purity rituals. If we just stick together and do these things, we can appease blah blah blah, and we, things will get better. Well, that, that's that's what I was pointing to before. That the priestly class would tell people in times past that if we just do these purity rituals we can appease the gods and things will the harvest yeah. will be good the weather storm god won't mm-hmm. smite us so what the purity so, rituals are vaccines uh, you mean i i'm i'm thinking that at the mass psychological level the two are fundamentally connected yeah. these well, are types of events have been happening and people are noticing and they're spooked maybe they don't allow themselves to think about it dwell on it too long because in that respect the, the COVID era of the last two years that we're now definitely fully in is 
um, oh, that's why so many embrace it. It was a welcome. Oh, thank God we can do something to stabilize yeah. my fears, my my, my, my real darker fears. Yeah. My but they're vague. Mm-hmm. Are that something fundamental is coming down the pipe? Something's wrong and with the world. Something's yeah. wrong, and but there is a way to make it better. I'll take that. And the way to make it better is what? Wash your hands. Purity rituals. Although the, the purity rituals are directly linked to COVID, obviously. But yeah, there's still, the, you can make the comparison, like, because people are well, washing their hands. Well, look, look at now the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Yeah. The unvaccinated are dirty, mm-hmm. um, problematic. Society right. is not going correctly because of them. Yeah. But if we fix that one last problem, we're home, we're home dry. Yeah. Even as everything collapses from. Well, if we fix that one problem, COVID might go away, but climate change won't. Climate change is a gift keeps on giving, Neil. It's not going away. How are we going to fix that? Should we recycle more? Well, this is the lie at the heart of climate change that that governments can do anything about it. Just as they cannot do anything about an airborne respiratory virus, as is proven by the data, every time they make an intervention, mandatory masks, um, lockdown, partial lockdown, introduce vaccines, the rates of incidence, okay, they're skewed anyway, but whatever, we'll go with the official data of cases are completely discorrelated from government intervention. Mm-hmm. They have zero influence on this yeah. behavior of these viruses. Virus going to virus. Just as that, so with everything else. But So with climate change, you mean? So with climate change. Climate going to climate. Climate going to go for fluey if it so is going that way. We won't be as alarmist as them to say it is, definitely. But uh, it ain't what it used to be. That's Everyone can agree with that, I think. What is you still it? get people who go, nah, well, in 1930, we had raging wildfires. In 1940, there was flooding worse than what we just had in wherever Kentucky. It wasn't, but, the, same, it wasn't the same sense of global dysphoria. Yes. And, and event and, after event. Yeah. How do you have in Western Europe the coldest April on record, in modern records, whatever, followed by the wettest May, followed by the driest June, followed by the coldest July? It's the up and down. It's the extremes it? all at once everywhere. Roller coaster. Yeah, and we'll have to wait and see where it uh, where it leads us. But uh, it doesn't look good. Like, and again. We're not saying, you know, we're agreeing that in a certain sense, we agree with the climate scientists who say that, you know, we're all doomed in a certain sense, not, not to that extreme, but, you know, that there's problems ahead. There may be, there may be trouble ahead, but where we differ starkly from them is that you're going to blame humans for it and impose some kind of, you know, restrictions on their movement, on their liberty. Mm-hmm. in order to save the climate, like save the planet. I mean, that whole idea of save the planet always struck me as massively hubristic, you know, yeah. massively like narcissistic effectively that one, because there are single people around the world today and have been for a long time who actually think that they are tasked with saving the planet, them alone. They may give lip service to, yeah, we all got to do this, but it's them who are going to lead the charge. And if nobody follows them, whatever, I'll do it myself. I, this little ant, like a little flea and a dog is going to save the planet. You know, flea, it's like a flea and a dog saying, what are we going to do about the direction this dog's going in? I don't know. We've got to do something about it. Let's have a protest. Let's, uh, let's implement some flea policies on the back of this dog to make sure it doesn't go down that road. 
It's like the dog doesn't is, is like barely aware of the fleas, isn't even aware of them, and it's yeah. going to do what it wants basically. Yeah. So um, I don't know. The future will uh, be better tomorrow, as George Bush once said infamously. And we <laughs> he did. He did. The future will be better tomorrow. God, yeah. what a genius that yeah. was that guy. And, and it's as good well, to end future. with George Bush after we started with him. It's good to end on an uplifting on an uplifting note like that. The future will be better tomorrow. We can guarantee that the future will be better tomorrow, um, and the past, and uh, and next week, uh, and just to prove it, we'll be having another show about the same time next week where we will tell you all about the wonderful improvements that have happened uh, over the course of the week and how everything's going to be fine. So. Uh, don't forget to tune in and don't forget to like this video and ignore YouTube and um, don't 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 pay any heed to them uh, what they say about our videos. Our videos are cool. Subscribe, like, and uh, share this video as much as possible. And we'll be back yeah next week for another one. Uh, until then, and until next week, we'll give you a nice image to contemplate. Give us that one. Ah, yeah, that's remarkable how similar they are. I bet that's the same, the same Chinook. Even the building looks similar. That's the same one. Have they been building embassies exactly the same way since yeah. 1975? Yeah. That's a bit of American history right there. Uniquely American. As, <laughs> Unique. as, as George W. Bush said as well. <laughs> Uniquely American. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Talk to you soon. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye. Next week. Bye-bye. Can't stop the signal now.